At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. On episode number four of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, the Mariners make a signing. They have signed former Brewers reliever Trevor Gott. We'll take a look into that. There's also some Michael Conforto rumors floating around the Mariners. We'll dive into that a little bit. We'll take a look at our free agent profile of the week. It's Dansby Swanson this time out. We'll take a look at the former Braves shortstop. We'll take a look around baseball with the MLB wraparound. And then we'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. With that, let's get rolling. And we welcome you into this week's episode of the Marine Layer Podcast. TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. Dog, good to see you. Good to see you too. I've been waiting five days to tell you this. Not only did I devour cranberry sauce on Thanksgiving, That's we gross. actually made extra. That is disgusting. I, I did have one bite of cranberry sauce this Thanksgiving. One. What did I have it on? I'm trying to think. Oh. So my dad, uh, who is cooking, I think he he puts he has some bread and he puts butter and cranberry sauce on it and hands it to you. He's like, okay, here here's our appetizer for today. I was like, oh, cool. Just sitting there on the couch. I think we're watching the Cowboys game or out in the middle of the afternoon before we eat. I take one bite. That was the only bite of cranberry sauce I took the entire evening. And I got to say, I'm a lot happier off because of it. My taste buds thank me. I don't know how you do it. Uh, shameful. You're missing out. Shameful. All Your taste buds are shameful. That is that is where I'm going to settle on with this. <laughs> this not so much a shameful as we dive into the baseball portion of this episode. Finally, Lyle, the stove has, I guess, maybe turned on one burner. It's on the lowest setting possible with winter meetings about a week away from right now. The Mariners signed former Brewers reliever Trevor Gott to a one-year contract a 30-year-old who spent the last season with Milwaukee, a 4-1-4 ERA. So, something to look at, I guess, with the Mariners with this signing on sort of a buy-low, expect high with Trevor Gott. Hey, hot stove's hot. Burner's turned on, and we're getting going, right? I, I can't complain. <laughs> I can't. It, it will heat up next week, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, once the winter meetings kick in, things will really start to get going, which we need because free agency is moving slower than ever this year. But for Trevor Gott, it's a reliever. The Mariners seem to have a pretty good track record with righty relievers. Gott's numbers have been pretty average in his career for the most part. Last year, they were fairly average. ERA, FIP, ERA+, plus. they were all right around that average range. But I'm going to guess the Mariners see something with them because usually... DePoto has a pretty good idea of what he likes in these righty relievers. There's one gaping hole in the Mariners' bullpen this upcoming season with Eric Swanson getting traded for Teoscar Hernandez. I'm not so certain that Trevor Gott is the guy to replace Eric Swanson in that bullpen, but there's a couple things that Trevor Gott does pretty well after taking a peek at his numbers. His quality of contact against is pretty good. It's about 268. Uh, his ex-WOBA, which is how we measure quality of contact. Uh, that's a Fangraphs, right? Uh, Fangraphs baseball savant sat. Regardless, uh, it measures quality of contact. Lyle, do you know who else had a 268 expected weighted on-base average this year as a pitcher? Man, if I got this right, you should put me right in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Just name any pitcher that had a 268 ex-WOBA against them. Let's see. Uh, he unanimously won the National League Cy Young Award. Oh, well, then, so, then you gave it away. Yeah, so Sandy, Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, Sandy Alcantara also had one. I was very surprised to see that. But that was the number he put up this year. His expected stats were pretty good. 
I'd imagine a lot of that come from a new cutter he throws this year. He threw it up. Uh, he was his most thrown pitch this year, 30% of the time, jumping up from 8% in 2020. So maybe that's something the Mariners like, uh, a new pitch in the bullpen. There's not really a guy in the bullpen who throws a pitch like that. So that raised my eyebrow a little bit. Are the Mariners all of a sudden trying to become a cutter-throwing ball club? Because Trevor Gott seems to have one, and they signed him. We've seen videos of Matt Brash learning a cutter this offseason. I don't know. It seems like a pitch they might want some of their guys to start implementing. There's some famous relievers who have thrown cutters before, so why not I, I give it say, a try? I would say so. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, the thing I would think about with Gott, he is very good against righties, which... Eric Swanson was also very good against righties, but what we talked about a lot was Eric Swanson was very good against lefties as well. Got not as quite as good against lefties. He allowed lefties to slug 485 against him last year, but against righties, I mean, he was a, a a pretty elite reliever. I mean, the quality of contact 254 x Woba uh, against righties that was a top 15 mark in baseball against just righties. It's pretty good. Yeah. That's really good. Again, I mean, this is what Jerry Depoto and his crew seem to do best. These righty relievers that throw around 90 to 93 miles an hour, who maybe on paper don't have the world's greatest projectables, they find value in these guys and turn them into critical pieces. I mean, never anything more potent than when Paul Sewald got called up. In fact, the same day Jared Kelnick and Logan Gilbert were called up in 2021, Seawald was called up with him. He tweets out, Mariners are bringing up all their young spry prospects today as he's sitting here in his low to mid-30s just trying to find a big league job. And, well, that season he was the best of all three of those guys. So maybe Trevor Gott can be another guy like that. You never know. I was reading the lookout landing breakdown of this signing, and there's some actually some similarities in the delivery between Gott and Seawald, which I think are intriguing right maybe there's some similarities there from a mechanical standpoint that Jerry Depoto and company really like and it's not just the cutter he throws I mean he has a fastball that reaches 95 miles an hour the cutters around 91 also adds in a sinker curve and an occasional changeup as well that's a pretty good arsenal for a righty reliever and I think there really is a lot to work with there which I think is what the Mariners are aiming for in this signing. Something to sort of mold in a low leverage situation as you probably have your high leverage guys for next year, as long as, you know, you might go sign one more and got, who knows, as we've seen the development could get into that spot. But for a low leverage guy, you're banking on some upside here. And I see it. I I absolutely see it. Casey Sadler, Paul Seawald, Eric Swanson, Penn Murphy, all right-handers that have been successful in this bullpen. Could Trevor Gott be the next guy? It's possible, and I'm guessing they signed him with the intention of doing so. So we'll see how he progresses once the season gets going. So Trevor Gott's on the roster. A guy that is not yet on the roster, but is certainly familiar with the Pacific Northwest, Michael Conforto. He's popped up in Mariners rumors this week. He missed all of 2022 with a shoulder injury, but... He's looking to sign with a ball club this year, guy that's been a really good offensive player most of his career, and a guy that's from Redmond, Washington. Mariners are on his list. Do we like this fit, assuming he's going on going after a short prove-it deal? I like the fit. If he's your third best outfielder, I like it. So if we look back to his 2021 season, 232, 344, 384 slash line, a 106 WRC plus was worth one and a half fan graphs wins. He's about an average to slightly above average defender in a corner outfield spot, which is what the Mariners would want right now. They have one corner outfield spot absolutely locked down. They have center field locked down for the next 20 years, maybe not 20 years, but you get the point. But the other spot is Jared Kelnick, who is unproven for a full season at the major league level right now. And you would prefer that spot if you're not going to sign one of these free agent shortstops to also be an above average bat. And that's what Michael Conforto gives you. He's got a career WRC plus of 124 and his last four full seasons has had a walk rate of above 12%. Things Jerry Depoto loves when he's looking at a hitter. 
those are all positives. Again, this guy has been a plus bat all of his career, even in 2021, which most people would consider a down year for him because his OPS plus was right at league average of 100. Final two months of the year, he started to turn it around. So he had a bad first half in 2021, and then he figured it out and returned to his usual form. Here's where I stand, though, and this is why I'm a little bit hands-off with the Conforto deal. Again, he is likely going to look for a one-year contract to try and prove it and then hit free agency and get more money after the 2023 season. If you have Michael Conforto and Teoscar Hernandez on this roster, two really good bats, but then all of a sudden they're both free agents at the end of the year. Do you want to go back to the drawing board again just one season from now and have to find new outfielders in back-to-back seasons? That doesn't seem like the world's greatest process. So I, if you're saying, Lyle, if you're saying, yes, they should sign Brandon Nimmo, it's like, okay, well, yes, I agree with you because I think Brandon Nimmo on a multi-year deal would be a better deal than Michael Conforto if we're talking about a solidified spot. But what I would like most about this is you can you can form it like this. You can put Michael Conforto and Teoscar Hernandez in the corners. You can put one of them at DH and put a better athlete in Jared Kelnick out in the outfield and let him play almost every single day. Because something that we haven't even mentioned with this is that the Mariners also need a DH. They need better DHs than they had last year. Their DHs were awful. They were among the three worst positions on the team. So if you can have one of these corner outfielders in that DH spot, even if it's on a one-year deal, rotating through and playing matchups or however they decide to do it, I think that has value in of its own. Look, Michael Conforto, the player, I really like. I think he'd be a great addition to the roster. I think he improves the offense. He actually plays above average defense for the most part in the corner outfield spots, like you mentioned. I would just feel better about it if they could get him to agree to even a two-year deal compared to a one-year deal. That'd be interesting. You'd probably have to overpay for that. You would. What what would you be comfortable giving him off his injury? You know, we don't know how healthy he is, to be honest. I mean, they're going to do medicals on him. But how is that, uh, you know, shoulder surgery he had going to affect him? I I don't know. Is he a different player? We would have to see. I don't think the Mariners would give him two years. I think if Brandon Nimmo signs and is off the market and Michael Conforto is your last maybe good option there, I think you just have to bite the bullet and do a one-year deal. You'd have to. If Nimmo's still on the market when you sign Conforto, so with this, are you suggesting that they could sign Conforto and still either go after Nimmo or bring back Mitch Hanniger? Or do you think if they sign Conforto, they're done in the outfield? No. I think Nimmo should be your top priority if you're actually looking to get a really, really good outfielder. If you want the best, go get Brandon Nimmo. We're not messing around with that. But... Let's say Nimmo's off the market and you really think that you you need to add a corner outfielder and you'd be comfortable giving a one-year deal out, I I would be very happy with Michael Conforto in that spot. I'd also be very happy with Mitch Hanniger in that spot, but it doesn't sound like he will be. uh, There's nothing sort of no momentum towards Mitch returning to Seattle at this moment. There's not with Mitch, but to be fair, the Mariners keep everything pretty internal and don't usually leak sources. So right. it could happen tomorrow with no previous information, just out of the blue. But so it again, could, and I'd, I'd be very happy about it if that was the case. <laughs> so if they sign Conforto, just to be clear, you don't think Nimmo's going to be on their radar anymore? No, but again, I said Nimmo should go be first because I think Nimmo would be a perfect table setter for this team. We're going to, later on down the line, break down the profile of Brandon Nimmo in a little more in-depth than we are right now. But if Nimmo is not on the market, he's not there, then I would be fine with Michael Conforto. But first, I would go after the best talent you possibly can because you have money to spend. So there, there, you know, a whole bunch of different ways to go with this, and that's what makes this so interesting. And, you know, we'll, we might spend more time talking about how Jared Kelnick works into all this as well. But I think it would be a good option because they need bats, and Michael Conforto is absolutely a bat. Speaking of bats, let's get into our free agent preview of this week, our in-depth free agent preview opposed to the more brief look at the Mariners checking in at Michael Conforto. 
This week, we'll take a look at the former Atlanta Braves shortstop, Dansby Swanson, coming off a career year, hitting 277, 329, a 116 WRC plus, and one of the best defenders in all of baseball. Lyle, how does he fit on this roster? Do you want to start with the positives or the negatives here? Oh, I'm always a big positives first guy. Yes, you are. Okay, he had a great season in 2022. It was the best season of his career. Uh, like you mentioned, his F war, when you look at fan graphs, was over six. It was 6.3. His baseball reference war was just under six at 5.7. And you mentioned his defense. This guy, by outs above average, was the second best defender in all of baseball. He only trailed Jonathan Scope. This was a career year, not just offensively, but defensively for him as well. So for what he did in 2022, this was a guy that was great on both sides of the ball. Yeah, he was. The thing that was, I think, curious about his defense, baseball savant loves his defense, the the outs above average uh, for his entire career. If we just go back at five years here, 92nd percentile, 70th, 99th, 78th, 100th this year. I mean, a top 30% defender at the very minimum, if not the best in baseball, at the most difficult defensive position in baseball. And then I looked at fan graphs, and they weren't as big of a fan with his defense, which I thought was curious. If we just go with his defensive runs backwards, Lyle, 9, negative 7, 9, negative 2, 9, negative 4, and 2, which raised an eyebrow. Seems like I'm going to have to do some film study on Dansby Swanson's defense. It almost sounds like J.P. Crawford, because I saw the same thing, where he was elite one year, and then the next year, metrics-wise, he did not grade well at all. And... I guess we'll have to see. And that's not defense isn't something that necessarily gets better as you age. And another curious thing about his defense, he's his arm strength rated by baseball savant. Not very good at that, that shortstop spot. He is in the bottom 15% of baseball uh, in terms of throwing the ball across the diamond, which I thought was interesting for someone who grades that well as a defender, but that speaks to good, good fundamentals and, and good, being in the right position as well. Let's take a look at his bat. A high average this year, not the biggest uh, slugger in the world. 447 slugging percentage, a bit down from his past years. But regardless, when he wants to, he does hit the ball well. 25 home runs this season for Dansby Swanson. You know, as in terms of shortstop power, Lyle, I would think that's pretty good. Not quite the Carlos Correa power or the maybe the upside power of Trey Turner, but there's some good stuff there when he makes contact. His power has just gone up over time. This guy's hit 52 home runs in the last two years. You said he had 25 this year. For a guy that doesn't off first look profile as a guy that looks like he'd have a lot of power, but he's really developed into that over the last couple seasons. And he's really developed as a player over time. So his power's gone up. His hard hit rates continued to go up over time, which is usually a positive that you like to see if you're a club. He ranked pretty well in that category this year. He's also always on the field. I mean, for as basic of a number and stat as you want, he's missed only two games in the last two years. So you have to like that, that he seems to take pretty good care of his body. Yeah, I saw that t- stat too. And playing shortstop, most importantly, not like you're you're playing first base or or DHing or playing a corner outfield spot for all those times. No, you're playing like the captain on the field for all but two games over the course of two seasons is the most impressive thing I think I saw with Dansby Swanson. He's also got good speed as well, good on the base paths, but now we can get into some more things I'm concerned about with Dansby Swanson as we look at sort of his profile as a player. He swings at a lot of pitches, and he his contact rate is really not as good as you would like it for sort of the contact profile. If you're just looking at... I got into these stats last week with Trey Turner about swinging at pitches inside and outside the zone. He's at about league average in both of those spots. The problem is he makes contact less than league average at about 5% less. And 
for a guy who's aging and bats slowing down, that leads to some more strikeouts. And you, you look on here, his walk rate goes down, his whiff rate goes up as the years go along. So just a, a, a thing to, to look at with Dansby Swanson is it's just not something that seems quite as sustainable in that product. And Trey Turner has seen to sustain it better than he has because we talked about it last week. You just mentioned it a minute ago. Turner would swing at a lot of strike or at a lot of pitches outside the zone. He's a little bit of a free swinger, but he seemed to manage it better and make up for it at times better than Swanson has outside of this year. Yeah. And for a Mariners team, that's very big on dominating the zone and drawing walks. That's not always Dansby's forte. He swings at, he's a free swinger. He swings at a lot of pitches Guys like Eugenio Suarez strike out, but he also walks a lot, so he makes up for it. As time goes on, I don't know how much Dansby would really do that, along with the fact that he already doesn't walk a whole ton. And there's a a couple other things, not not even just his walk rate, not that he doesn't walk uh, a ton, and he walks at about 7%, which is below league average. But I think there's also some numbers about this past season, which makes me a little more nervous about him and a little more prone to regression. We brought we brought in a batting average on balls in play before, but his BABIP this past season was pretty high. It was at 348 BABIP this past season, and that's the highest out of any non-shortened, uh, non-COVID shortened season of his career. His other highest was a 300 BABIP in 2019. Well, that raised my eyebrow too. So, you know, it seems to, if you look at his Fangraphs page, I I think it had a big part in inflating his stats a little bit, especially his average. I know we don't talk about average as much, but he hit about 240 last year and was a below average player. And with sort of the same peripherals, had a better season this year. It's a huge concern. Again, the two best offensive seasons he's had in his career are totally spiked by good luck because when you have a high batting average on balls in play, that means you were very, very lucky throughout the course of a season because batting average on balls in play isn't sustainable for any player, not just Dansby Swanson. And in both 2020 and 2022, his BABIP was very high. And that's a little concerning, along with the fact that he's a guy that already swings and misses a decent amount. So I have I wrote down the numbers here, Lyle, just to give a little bit of perspective this year to last year, how similar sort of his rates were that would profile success, and yet his results were completely different. Last year, essentially a league average player, 99 WRC+, had a worse walk rate in 2022, had a worse K rate in 2022, He hit the ball on a line drive slightly better, 1% better. Had a ground ball rate uh, about the same, 39% last year, 40% this year. You know, equal about hard hit rate, etc. There's a lot of things the same. But he was a 116 WRC plus player this year. And we're saying, well, he had one of the best seasons of his career. But he had about the same rates last year in a lot of these categories. And he was below average. So uh, it, I've got it's, a, baseball is a fickle game. It is a, it is a fickle game. I've got a stat least. to throw out at you. Oh, I love stats. You just talked about his WRC plus, And I'll throw his OPS plus into this too. Because he put up a 115 OPS plus this year. Which was the best mark of his career. It surpassed 2020. Which is 111. Which, by the way, isn't that high above league average. 15% above league average is considered good. It's not great. Not for a guy that's expected to be paid like Carlos Correa and Trey Turner are. So check this out. His OPS plus was 115. Uh, Dylan Moores, my guy Demo, by the way. If you listen to this podcast, you'll learn over time. Two guys I'll always go to bat for on this pod. Dylan Moore, Jared (sighs) Kelnick. Dylan Moore put up a 122 OPS plus. Meanwhile, Sam Haggerty, 115. So smaller sample size for both Moore and Haggerty, but same rate or better than what Dansby Swanson did offensively. I don't know. I don't know if I want to pay $25, $26 million a year to a guy that offensively isn't much better on paper than those two. 
MLB trade rumors predicts a seven-year, $154 million contract with Dansby. That would be projected the smallest contract of the four shortstops. And looking at his profile, combined with his age, I think I would agree. That's probably about right. I think odds are he's going to be back with the Atlanta Braves. But you never know, obviously. You really do never know how the market will shake out. It was really interesting, though. I really did enjoy diving into Dansby and sort of peeling back the layers a little bit on the kind of player he is. Um, former number one overall pick. And speaking of Dansby, this happened literally just before we hit record, Lyle. I don't know if you saw this. The man that he was traded for from Arizona to Atlanta just signed with the Dodgers, Shelby Miller. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty ironic with a little bit of a, a of a throwback with the original trade that sent Dansby Swanson, the former number one overall pick of the Diamondbacks, to Atlanta for Shelby Miller. And knowing some Diamondbacks fans, they uh man, that that one that one stung a little bit. Oh, it stings. And and Shelby Miller hasn't thrown many innings since what? 2016 i mean the the last five seasons he's barely been on the field so i mean the dodgers are just buying low on him but we'll see where he ends up again there's a lot to like about dansby there's also a fair share of concerns and i think there's a reason he probably profiles for the lowest contract of the four big shortstops but we'll see where he lands because we know the hot stove's gonna get hot as the weeks go on here and he is certainly right in that mix Let's transition into our MLB wraparound here. Our first topic, TJ, I'd say a pretty big topic because it concerns maybe the biggest name in this free agent class. Aaron Judge took a meeting with his hometown San Francisco Giants. He was caught on video pretty shortly after getting into the Bay Area, spotted in Northern California. Video went viral. Giants players have been talking him up on social media, trying to recruit him, and he's considering their offer and what they have to say. Do we think this happens? I think after the Yankees, this is the best fit for Aaron Judge. He's from Linden, California, which is about an hour and a half away from the Bay Area in San Francisco. It's a little under 100 miles away near Stockton. That's where he grew up. He went to Fresno State. He's a California guy through and through. So in the end, I mean, you think about New York, it's like, well, he could want legacy in New York. But if he really wants to be home and be around family, the Giants are where he's going to want to be. They will absolutely pay him. They only have $24 million or sorry, $20 million on the books for the 2024 season. That's it. Just $20 million. They can afford the projected contract of him which, uh, back to MLB Trade Rumors, predicts eight years, $332 million for Aaron Judge. He would be the second highest paid player on average of all time. That's ridiculous. He's worth it, but that's just such a crazy contract. The Giants, like you said, they have the resources to give it out. The only thing I'm thinking about if I'm Aaron Judge is... The Yankees seem to be in a much better position to win than the Giants because the Giants won over 100 games in 2021 where every single player on that team overperformed to expectation and they all regressed to the mean in 2022. The team went 500. I don't think they're an Aaron Judge away from being a World Series contender. Now, money talks and maybe that isn't the biggest deal in the world to Aaron Judge, but it's just something to think about that they're probably going to need to do some additional adding in order to get themselves into real-world series contention. and at, But, Lyle, adding a guy who just had one of the best offensive seasons of all time, a 311, 425, 686 slash line, 207 WRC+, 62 home runs, which is an American League record, that is a massive impact on a lineup, no matter which roster you add it to. Not as good of a hitting environment there at Oracle Park uh, on the Bay of San Francisco. But nonetheless, he would be handsomely paid. And in the end, it is going to come down to money. I heard this point made while I was doing the research on this from some New York Sports Talk radio about 
what Aaron Judge really wants. Does he want his legacy? Does he want that 99 in maybe in Monument Park? Does he want his 99 up in the on the wall of Yankee Stadium next to all the other all-time greats? Or does he want the big paycheck and be closer to home? That's the big question to be asked here. Oh, I'm not saying don't pay him. If the Giants have the chance to get Aaron Judge, you do it. I'm just saying that can't be the only move they make because that would be a better version of the Rockies signing Chris Bryant, so to speak, because that one piece just isn't going to change the direction of their franchise. It can certainly turn it. It just can't change it. They're going to need more guys than that. Well, they're also pretty good at drafting and developing too. So I I think as, you know, Farhan Zaidi, the president of baseball operation goes, I think they will uh, develop a little bit better. They need quite a lot, but again, they have the resources, they have the front office, they have the, as we like, analytical mindset to sort of progress forward and develop some guys and have a good all-around roster. Yeah, and Lau, by the way, not only uh, are other Giants recruiting Aaron Judge, Steph Curry, Chris Mullen, and E-40 also were recruited to to pitch to Aaron Judge as well. So I think that'll work out. <laughs> I was going to ask if you saw that Steph Curry was recruiting him along with all those other Giants players. Uh, yeah, I did a little bit. It makes sense. Why? I mean, why not? Why, <laughs> why not? That's, uh, that's uh, about as slam dunk uh, as you could do. I don't know why Is- you wouldn't. Why you is wouldn't he, do that. Is E-40 about to make a sequel for Bang Bang Niner Gang? Only to sequence one to Aaron Judge? Like make an Aaron Judge walk-up song for him if he comes to San Francisco? I think that would be good. I think that's what they should do. I agree. I, th- I absolutely think that's what they should do. Yeah. Well, this is the time of year for teams to get better. The Giants are looking to get better. And we can transition down south something that really just stabbed me in the heart when we saw this yesterday. The Houston Astros have signed former All-Star and former 2020 AL MVP Jose Abreu to a three-year, $58.5 million contract for the next, again, three seasons. Lyle, this hurts me because it's almost too good of a fit with the Astros. Almost too good. One of the Astros' weakest spots on their World Series roster was first base. This team won 106 games last year. Yuli Gurriel put up a war of negative 0.3. So he actually lost this team games last year. He's now off the roster, and they immediately replace him with a guy who's won an MVP, is an offensive catalyst, and put up four and a half wins last year. So... The roster is not going to be exactly the same in 23 as it was in 22. But if you simply just take Gurriel out and put Jose Abreu in, it'll add four and a half wins. Because his war his war was 4.2 last year. Gurriel's was negative 0.3. So that would add four and a half wins to this team. It's just ridiculous. And like you said, it's a seamless fit because they needed a first baseman. They got one of the best guys. So now that lineup, however you're going to sort it out, Altuve, Pena, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, Abreu. I mean, just, you know, the Mariners make a move to get significantly better, and they trade for Teosco Hernandez, and then the Astros say, okay, we'll do the exact same thing at a position that we desperately need it. Jose Abreu coming off a really good season. You mentioned the 4.2 wins above replacement. He really changed his approach this year. He went for more of an average and walk approach this year than a power approach, a career low nine, uh, 15 sorry, home runs, 304, 378, 446 slash line, and a 137 WRC plus in one of the best hitting ballparks for right-hand hitters in baseball. Ugh. I mean, how did they do it? That, that guy... <laughs> is going to take such advantage of the Crawford boxes day in and day out. I mean, for a guy that hit 15 home runs in Chicago, now to go see him play in Houston, man. And and part of me wonders if they're going to go after Wilson Contreras too this offseason because this is a team that usually does not spend a ton of money. Their payroll isn't terrible, but it's not through the roof either. Then by terrible, I mean it's not insanely low. They still have more room to spend, and catcher is another weak spot. I mean, are they going to go get one of the best catchers in baseball, too? 
That wouldn't surprise me. That, that really wouldn't surprise me. The the thing about the the Astros roster, it's real. It's so homegrown, and that's the Mariners are trying to morph themselves after the Astros more so than morph themselves off a team that builds on free agency. But it doesn't mean you can't sign players, right? And that's exactly what they're going to do. And it'll. I'm going to be so frustrated if we're going to be sitting here on this podcast talking about Wilson Contreras and Jose Abreu being Houston Astros because if the Mariners are going to close the gap, that also requires the Astros getting worse, not them getting better, which this fit is <laughs> them getting uh, them getting worse. Uh, sorry, them getting better. Unfortunately, and yeah. the thing, the maybe the most annoying thing, Lyle, is he's not even going to have to hit for much power to hit home runs in that park. You mentioned the Crawford boxes. You don't need to be a power hitter to hit into those Crawford boxes. You don't. You just need to hit a fly ball. That's it. Fly ball, with some backspin, and it'll and it'll Exa- take care of itself. Exactly. Again, the reason we bring up the Wilson Contreras trade or. Wilson Contreras potential free agent signing is because they almost traded for him at the deadline back in July fell through, but it almost happened. So it makes me think there's probably interest there. And this week we hear they have interest in Brandon Nimmo too. So Jeff Passon tweeted, the Astros are inevitable. I described playing them all season, like trying to take down Thanos. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. As we transition into our final MLB wraparound topic, from a team that continues to develop their roster and build their organization at a positive rate and an, and a rate that just continues to get better and better, team that maybe doesn't do it as well, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they do make a move this offseason. They go and sign Carlos Santana, former Mariner, one-year deal, a little over $6 million. So they spend something. When I saw this signing, I didn't think much of it. I, good for Carlos, right? He's going to get $7 million. He was the most shifted on player in baseball last year. He's going to play in a pretty good hitter's park. Very nice setting. And he, his offense, I would imagine, will come up with the shift being gone and him being affected a lot by the shift. But then I'm just scrolling Twitter, and I see this tweet saying, in quote, this is the largest amount of guaranteed money the Pirates have handed out in free agency since 2016. (laughs) $6.7 million. (laughs) What? I almost fell on the floor. It's Jason. The last contract they gave out that was that large was two years, $11 million to Daniel Hudson before the 2017 season. Like, Wow, I I didn't think like it was possible for teams to continue being this cheap nowadays, but man, oh man, six point seven million dollars is is the largest, the largest. Let's call uh. this team what they are. They're the Oakland A's with a nice stadium. Yeah, yeah, they're, that that is that's spot on. They're the Oakland A's with a nice stadium. It doesn't get talked about enough because the A's are just poster boys in terms of cheap franchises in baseball. Pirates do not spend any money. And they've had so many good players on their roster throughout the last six or seven years. They had Garrett Cole, gave him away. They had, I mean, they had Brian Reynolds, another guy they're talking about trading away. They had Andrew McCutcheon. Didn't re-sign him. Like, they don't keep any of their guys. Tyone, Glassnow, Austin Meadows, all, by the way, <laughs> Shane Boz. Like, we could keep going. We could keep going. It's it's just so sad. It is so... I feel bad for Pirates fans. I, I do, again, too. A because- good signing. Congratulations. It's a good signing. But just to know that you're, you know, the ownership will probably not spend anything more than that. To make your roster better for a team that's, you know, rebuilding, but could also use some complementary pieces around their young core and they won't do it. It's crazy. Like teams get what, 60, 70 million dollars of revenue share, at least, if not more. I don't know the exact number, but they get a pretty good chunk of revenue sharing from the big market teams. The Yankees give a lot of money. The Red Sox, the Cubs, the Mariners have a great TV deal. I'm sure they have to give quite a bit of 
their revenue sharing away as well. But then there are teams who just don't spend what they get. And it's really, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. Feel bad for Pirates fans, but I think you'll enjoy Carlos Santana. Good clubhouse guy. And I think he'll hit pretty well this year with the new rules in place. Let's transition away from baseball. It's time to speak your mind. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. Up first for me on Speak Your Mind. Again, usually not baseball-related subjects. This is not baseball-related, just sort of whatever we feel like talking about. And I didn't even see the subject until today, Lyle. Kanye West and Kim Kardashian's divorce has been finalized, and this number uh, really blew my mind away. Kanye is going to have to pay $200,000 a month in child support. So my message here is to decide carefully who you decide to marry, because it could be expensive if you don't. $200,000 a month. (laughs) I mean, how much is that for him these days? Because obviously the guy's made a ton of money throughout his career. But how much does he still have? Like, is his net worth still pretty high? Because, like, like, Yeezy is, at least officially with Adidas, done. Right. No no other shoe company would go. He lost, what, a billion dollars off his valuation in a span of a week? So, yeah, I don't know. I hope he's got a lot tied up in real estate. Now, that's for sure. Because, man, oh, man, like, I, I don't know how much of his liquid is left. So that that was a that was really a crazy number that I I saw. I, I don't know if that's like the the official number. I just saw that scrolling on Twitter, but it sounds about right for a relationship of that magnitude and that much wealth combined between the two folks. That was pretty crazy. That is nuts. Again, that that's money that I certainly don't have. Let's put it that way. Correct, correct. But you also don't have children, so you don't have to worry about that. Well, that's true. My speak my mind. I only have one this week. It sounds like you have a couple more. So now that Thanksgiving's over, we've transitioned to, I guess, what we would call the Christmas season and the winter holiday season. I don't usually do that much for it. The one thing I usually do is watch the Home Alone movies because, one, I loved them growing up, and two, they're always on TV. I'm sitting there watching them this weekend because they were on, and I just, if I see them on TV, I'm usually going to sit and probably watch most of it through. I love the movies. Harry and Marv are the two worst villains of all time. Have you ever watched these movies? Uh, I think I've watched the original Home Alone more than the others. Okay, so two is honestly my favorite, which may be a hot take, but I just think it's that much more ridiculous and the pranks are that much more out of this world that I guess I just think it's hilarious. So the premise in this movie is the two bad guys. It's the same bad guys from the first movie. They escape prison, find their way to New York. They're trying to rob a toy store so then they can take a bunch of cash and just fly to a foreign country and get off the grid, basically. And Kevin, who's the main character, he's like this 10-year-old kid. He catches them, and he's trying to stop them from doing so, and he sets up a bunch of traps, obviously, at this house. But he catches them at this toy store that's like blocks and blocks away and gets them to chase him all the way back to where he set up all these traps. And I just can't under, I know it's a movie, right? And, and I'm way overanalyzing like a PG movie. That's supposed to be like a feel good Christmas story. But I just sit there watching these guys run around New York city at like one o'clock in the morning on Christmas Eve, doing everything they can to get payback on this 10 year old kid. And I'm thinking to myself, why don't you just get on the plane and fly away like you said you were going to do. Because they collected a bunch of money. And instead of just going to the airport, they spent hours trying to chase around this kid. And they end up, again, having it blow up in their face. So, I mean, I love the movie. But they are the worst and probably dumbest villains of all time. Do you watch any Thanksgiving-specific movies? Not really. We used to watch the Charlie Brown special a lot. We haven't done that in a couple of years, though. Planes, Trades, and Automobiles is an all-time classic. Every single Thanksgiving. It's it's very quotable, so I recommend that. Less no silly villains in that one, just some uh, okay. just some hearty chuckles. Okay. I, I, you know, I'll 
I'll have to go back and watch the original uh, the original Die Hard. Uh, All I, right, I that's seen fair. It. I haven't seen it in a while. Maybe that'll be a, a a this Christmas thing. Okay, I have two more. I again, I, I probably over prepare for these things, but there's some things that I really just need to comment on or need to just get your reaction to. I know we've both been following the World Cup. I totally forgot how just absolutely batshit some of these press conferences are with especially the one between the United States and Iran before the U.S. won earlier today, 1-0 against Iran to advance to the knockout round. But I, I saw some of these questions that the United States had to field from some of these reporters. I'm just going to read this one to you. One of the Iranian reporters asked U.S. coach Greg Berhalter, quote, sport is something that should bring nations closer together, and you're a sports person. Pause. Why is it that you should not ask your government to take its military fleet away from the Persian <laughs> Gulf? I was like, whoa! Okay. It's like, Greg's like, yeah, okay, uh, Joe... I think we need to move. We need to move the need uh, to move the two aircraft carriers away from the Persian Gulf and and move them farther out into the ocean. <laughs> like it just some just crazy questions that are asked in that uh, in that press conference. I was gonna say Greg Berhalter should have just responded and said, "Yeah, man, let me just make a call here real quick because I can make that happen." Like what? Yeah, and that's not the only subject that came off. They asked Tyler Adams about, you know, racism in the United States and and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's just some of the questions that are asked. You think the New York media asks some tough questions when you go play a game in New York or you you play sports and you're you're a Yankee, you're a Met, etc. Go play in the World Cup. That's really going to get everyone riled up if you want to ask a tough question. Okay, last thing. This came up yesterday which I actually wasn't even going to include until maybe two minutes before this podcast started. I was scrolling on Twitter, saw it, and said, oh, yeah, this is going in. Lyle, Deshaun Kaiser was a Green Bay Packer in 2018. I'm going to mm-hmm. quiz you. What was the first thing Aaron Rodgers asked Deshaun Kaiser about? I can't remember. I don't know if I saw this yet or not. Okay. Deshaun Kaiser wanted- walks into the walks into the quarterback room and some pretense here. Aaron Rodgers, if you, you don't need to look that hard to see how he thinks, he's a very he's a free thinker to say the least. Deshaun Kaiser walks into the quarterback room, sits down, Aaron walks up to him. I think he has a look on his face. Deshaun thinks he did something wrong, and the words out of Aaron Rodgers' mouth, the first words in the quarterback room, wait, ready to go over tape. Do you believe in 9-11? First thing. And I, I saw that. I saw Kaiser go on that podcast and talk about it. And we're I'm sitting there watching that like, wow. It, 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 it's, you know, Aaron sometimes will give up these things on his own. But then to hear the secondhand perspective of it is, is pretty crazy to, to have a teammate that you've never met before just walk up to you. And ask you that because I thought that was that's pretty insane. Nice job, what Aaron. Ne- I haven't seen this yet. So, what was the next question? Did Aaron ask him, uh, "Do you drink water made out of clay?" And if not, you're fired. Uh, I I don't remember if he said that, but he said just make sure to you know do some thorough research on nine eleven. There's some some differing opinions on what <laughs> happened. It's like, okay, Aaron, thank you. Yep. Yep, thank you. I'll uh, I'll get right to that. I'll I'll do it before my film study. Uh, Here's what, that man well, is. He's an oddball. He is an oddball. Well, and it's so interesting because this didn't really start till about this time last year. I want to say maybe a little bit before. Like he didn't go totally off the rails with all his takes till I would say a little over a year ago. For most of his career, he didn't say anything that crazy. But all of a sudden, I I guess he's kind of gotten to his fuck it phase of his career and said, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say whatever I'm feeling. He's speaking his mind. <laughs> yeah, he is. He would be great for this segment. Oh, God, we could do a whole episode on that. That would be hilarious. What 
his immunized comment was the one that really set it off. I think that's when it all went into a tailspin and his and his personal life got shed in a little bit more of a public life. I think maybe we should have looked into this just maybe a little bit more when you hear the story that he doesn't talk to any of his family anymore. Not a single person, not his mom, not his dad, not his brother. He does not talk to any of them. And you yeah. think, hmm, like straight up, just no, I'm never seeing you again. Maybe that should have raised an eyebrow and then you hear him open his mouth and you're like, yeah, kind of makes sense now. <laughs> kind of makes sense. Imagine <laughs> Thanksgiving at their table. <laughs> Could you imagine? No. I mean, it would be like the Michael Scott. It would be like the Michael Scott and Toby scene in the office where Michael Scott is just giving Toby the death stare for 20 seconds straight. He, he picks up the, the, the bowl of cranberry sauce and he's like, where did these cranberries come from? Are there, are there chips in here? Are there, are there, are there microchips? Is the government going to something like that? I don't know that I would pay money to be a fly on the wall at one of their final Thanksgivings that they had together before he blocked them all. That would have been, that would have been unbelievable. And Thanksgiving's contentious enough when people (laughs) do all get along, but let alone when you have Aaron Rodgers out here asking if you believe in nine 11. So it's just uh, (laughs) things to consider there with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers. Go ahead. Credit to you for being a social media savant and being active because I hadn't seen that yet, but you were on it. I don't know how you didn't see that former Notre Dame quarterback. One of your favorites. I know. I know. All right. Well, now I'm going to have to go watch. Okay. Well, I, it won't take that much research to go find, but it's uh, it's pretty eye-opening to watch uh, on that on um, when he spoke. So that'll do it for this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast. You can find this podcast on all of your podcast listening platforms. You can find us on YouTube as well. Short-form content on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube Shorts as well. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for all updates and such with this podcast. For Lyle Goldstein, I'm TJ Mathewson. We'll talk to you next week on the Marine Layer Podcast. Podcast.